0: Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, the most excruciating pain I've ever felt was when I dislocated my shoulder skiing. It was a profound and prolonged agony that lasted two weeks. Every waking moment, despite heavy and regular medication, was painful. But if I ever breathe a word of this suffering near my wife, I'm likely to get a kick, a missile or at least a very foreboding look. Dara, who bore our two children without drugs because of the eagerness of our two boys to see the world outside of her womb, does not equate our experiences of pain at all. After all, pain is a deeply subjective thing. When it's with us, it's all we can think about, what is life like then for someone it never leaves? Well, Hader Warich is an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and author of "The Song of Our Scars: The Untold Story of Pain." Um, Hader, welcome to the program. Since we're sharing, I suppose you might um, tell us a little bit about what got you on this path, your own experience uh, in Pakistan, and your own struggle with pain. Uh,
1: thank you for having me here to talk about this and. Uh I too would get shot down pretty quickly by my wife if I talked about this, but you know, I guess uh, I guess in some ways my agony was a bit more prolonged. I still remember the day that I hurt my my back uh, when I was in medical school. It was in the gym. I was trying to lift some weights, probably more than what I should have been doing, and 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 heard a heard a click, a loud sound in my back. Uh, everything went. Limp, essentially, and I was stuck under these weights. I was taken to the emergency room on on this rickety wheelchair, and I got some painkillers, and I was told that my pain would get better. And I expected that to be true because that had been my relationship with pain to that point that, you know, it was worse at the beginning, but then over time it got better. But this time, that wasn't the case. And in fact, the pain in my back became a constant presence in my life for many years. Um, It was really debilitating. And I, you know, for a while, wasn't sure if I could actually even finish my education as a medical student or work as a physician. And though I've gotten better since you know because of both a lot of hard work but also you know uh, a nice uh, healthy amount of good luck uh, it's really shaped how i've thought about uh, what it means to be uh, healthy or sick what it means to be a physician and to be empathetic and also how misunderstood pain is as a phenomenon mm. when it is supposed to be the most common reason why people need healthcare. Pain is the most common reason people come to the emergency room or to the hospital. And yet, what I've learned over the years uh, through my research and my work uh, as a physician is that pain is probably the sensation we understand the least that occurs in our body. Really? and Yes, uh, absolutely. And if anything, I think that the understanding of pain... uh, Has actually uh, regressed over time. You know, so there's been so much progress in medicine and science, and there's so there's so many things we understand better today than we did before. But in many ways, our understanding of pain has actually taken a step back. Uh, and part of this is because of a movement that was started in the 90s primarily in the United States that tried to uh, to try to position pain as a purely physical sensation it's like uh, a, and a phenomenon similar to other vital signs that we record such as the heart rate or blood pressure etc and and if you look at historically I think we've always had a much broader view of pain. Uh, you know, pain has always been linked to things beyond just our own body. Yes, healing, struggle, growth, punishment. It has had so many layers uh, upon layers and power, obviously. It's never been just something that happens because, you know, two bones are rubbing the wrong way in our body, but but something that has always meant more more than just simply a mechanical um abnormality. Uh, And yet, I think the movement to really position this as a purely physical sensation did a lot of harm to not just how we understand pain as a society and as as a science, but also in how we treat it.
0: Let's talk about the the different types of pain because obviously acute pain is one thing, but for the most part we can we can address a lot of acute pain with with painkillers uh, until there is healing. But of course, the the most difficult sort of pain, the pain that you lived with, and the pain that um, becomes sort of part of someone's daily life, is is chronic pain, and that chronic pain. Is often prolonged and uh, and colors everyone's (laughs) that the 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 sufferer's whole view on life. Why why does chronic pain exist? When we um, give normal painkillers to someone with chronic pain, why does chronic pain not go away?
1: Um, That's a great question. So you know, chronic pain is defined essentially as pain that occurs frequently uh, or or continuously for at three months or longer. And today, there, uh, it is something that affects, you know, approximately one in five people around the world. And yet, if you look at how we've treated a chronic pain, our treatments have actually not been very effective. You know, one of the biggest crises in medicine was the use of opioids or narcotics, such as morphine or fentanyl for the use of chronic pain, uh, was initially seen as... You know way to provide people relief, especially those who are in constant suffering. and yet it turned out that not only were those opioids very harmful, leading to what's called the opioid epidemic in the United States with millions of people addicted and hundreds of thousands of people dying of mm. overdoses, what we now know is that they were actually not even effective for chronic pain. And specifically the the reason why opioid medications, which are, Which are very effective for acute pain. So, if you have acute pain, if you come in and you've fractured. Um, a rib, or if you have, you know, acute appendicitis and your appendix is about to burst, no opioid is going to provide you more relief and, uh, than almost anything else that we have mm. in our in our cabinet. And yet, the same drugs actually are not very effective for chronic pain. And part of that is because, a, our body gets used to them very quickly and needs higher doses of the same drug, not just to overcome the chronic pain, but also just to overcome the everyday Nick snacks that we get as just part of being a human being, uh, sitting in a chair for a long time, standing up or leaning against something. I mean, these are things that our body is able to ensure remain pain-free because we have all these endogenous opioids. So we, our body makes its own opioids mm. that keep us pain-free and not just pain-free, but also happy and satisfied and content and connected with other people. And, but when we take these pills, those, the, the doses are so much larger than what the body is used to seeing that not only do they take away our body's own ability to overcome pain, but they also take away the sense of social connectedness and empathy and kindness that we feel uh, as part of being members of a community or of a society. So really, I, I, I think because we never tested these medications for chronic pain before we decided that it would be a great idea to get people to take these medications, mm. we ended up in a crisis in which now there's so many people who are very dependent on these medications, uh, and, and yet we know that, that not only are these medications quite dangerous, but they're actually probably only prolonging the pain, if anything else.
0: This is something that I wasn't aware of, that um, chronic pain is not very well treated with opioids, but we do know a bit about pain and, and there has been some research to suggest that it is possible to turn off pain in some instances. Can you tell me about the, the sort of cutting edge research in dealing with pain and, and why, why we're no further along when it comes to treating chronic pain?
1: So I will say that there has been a lot of really exciting developments in the space for uh, treatments for chronic pain recently, in part because I think we have so few good options for patients. And and surprisingly, you know, many of these therapies actually don't really, you know, if you have back pain, you know, these therapies are not targeting your back. They're actually working on your mind, on your brain, on your nervous system Mm. to change how we interpret the pain and change how you react to it. So, you know, one of the cardinal because of course of
0: Because, of course, pain happens in the brain. And that's something that sometimes Absolutely. you need to get your head around because you have, you know, nerves in your finger. When you prick your finger with a needle, you think you're experiencing it in your finger because that's what got pricked. But actually the pain you experience is not in your finger, it's in your head.
1: Absolutely. When, when, when we have something like that uh, happen in our body, uh, we, we, we have this process called nociception, in which we have these nervous signals traveling to the brain, uh, but but th- these signals are unconscious, and it is only in the brain that they are turned into a conscious phenomenon, and that conscious phenomenon is called pain, which is as much a physical sensation as it is a emotion and a traumatic memory, especially when it comes to chronic pain. So, and Now, the, and a lot of the new therapies, what they're doing is they're really changing how, wh- how we interpret that pain, especially in the chronic setting. Because, you know, for the most part, when you have chronic pain, if you have a surge of pain, it's not because you have a new injury in your back or that there's some new pathology that is evolving in your body. Sometimes there is, but it is very, very rare. So really what the, these new interventions try to do is they try to have us find a way of living better with the pain and oftentimes it involves eliminating the fear that pain engenders in us because again that's part of the function of pain it's pain is supposed to be incredibly tension grabbing and fear inducing because you know our, uh, our bodies want us to be careful and safe and don't want us to do yeah. you know silly things that would harm us we absolutely need but that. in the chronic setting, yeah. Absolutely. but we and, and you're right, we, we need it for survival, and we know this because people who don't feel pain actually live shorter lives than people who do. but but at some point in the chronic setting, the the system is misfiring. The system is giving us fear and and, and is telling us to not do anything, even though it may, is actually not actually helping us. So many of these new forms of therapy, one of them is actually a form of cognitive therapy called pain reprocessing therapy. That essentially teaches people that that in the chronic setting, that the pain that they're having is not causing or is not associated with any new damage in their tissues or in their body. And and the results of this are in a randomized trial of very striking. Really? After so, just a so month you, what,
0: what you're saying that um, after a month of telling people that's not why you're being hurt, that they actually get less hurt?
1: Absolutely. So so in this trial, which is a randomized trial, so you had individuals who had chronic back pain, and they were divided into essentially three arms. In one arm, people received the usual care that you get for chronic back pain. In the second arm, you got uh, a placebo, which can also be actually quite powerful for the relief of pain. And in the third arm, they received this therapy over a, the course of a month. And then we, when they look back at these patients at one year, so not immediately after, but actually giving it time to see is the effect durable, they found that more than 50% of patients who received therapy were pain-free compared to only 16% of patients who received usual care. So not wow. only does this therapy or this form of thing, again, it just provides, it just for me, this was really a light bulb moment because I think what it shows you is that we need to start thinking outside the box about pain, especially Mm. chronic pain. And that if the more we think, the more we focus on the body, the more we're actually missing the fact that chronic pain lives and and exists and persists in the brain, and it is only there if we really focus our energies that we could have something that's quite effective. Another example of things of or interventions that are very exciting is uh, VR. So there's an uh, there's a, in in the US the Food and Drug Administration, which is usually very conservative, has actually approved a VR intervention, a VR device that is meant to help people live better with chronic pain and which has been shown to be quite effective in clinical trials so uh again is this is this new... in the case
0: where someone um has perhaps phantom limb pain and chronic pain that they can't that that is there because of a perception of a missing body part or perception of their body being damaged and then they see themselves in vr as healed is that the thing sort of thing you're talking about
1: so VR has also been tested in phantom pain, phantom limb pain as well, uh, which is, again, I think, if, again, another example of this idea that you don't need a new injury or you don't need nociceptive signals from your body to feel pain. You can feel pain at some point. Your body can just generate that experience regardless of whether it's getting any type of stimulation from above and yes VR therapy not only works uh, or has been shown to be effective for chronic pain but specifically this intervention is for essentially most people with chronic pain which is which is a vast majority of people and and again the most common cause of chronic pain is low back pain and and what it does is that a it, it helps people to sort of get out of their own sort of physical forms and sort of see them in this kind of disembodied way. But also um, in that setting, these patients are uh, provided uh, therapy and other forms of cognitive reprocessing, essentially, to, f- to be able to imagine a new way to live in their own body um, wow. and, a, and a new way to live with pain, which is, again, something that we've always, you know, this concept that we need to learn how to live better with pain is something that we've had to learn and do as a species for most of our history. It isn't only until recently when we decided that living with pain was something that was entirely unacceptable. And pharmaceutical companies were very happy to sell these dreams of mass anesthesia to society. And yet that form of thinking has has caused so much harm. So in some ways, these new innovations actually are taking us back to a time when we had a healthier relationship with being able to live with pain and live despite it.
0: There is um, some work in medication that is also very interesting though, and you talk about it in the book, PKM Zeta. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, this is also another really exciting uh, space. And this space is essentially thinking about the parallels between chronic pain and how we form memories. And in fact, the same processes that are involved in us memorizing events such as where do we leave the car keys or what's, what, what's our wife's birthday or um, etc., are also related in the memorization of acute pain into chronic pain. And so a molecule that is central to the formation of memories called PKM Zeta is also based on um, studies that are primarily done in mice, has been shown to be very critical to essentially the the development of chronic pain. And when uh, scientists have used uh, inhibitors that prevent this molecule from working, not only do um, uh, do the organisms affected not form any new memories, but they actually don't develop chronic pain as well. And there's some data showing that, that medications that affect memorization can also halt this process of the transformation of acute into chronic pain. And many of the forms of therapy that are developed for conditions like PTSD are also now being tested in people who have chronic pain. And so the, the parallels between memory and pain are very, very clear. And again, goes back to why do we have pain? Pain is there as a defense mechanism. Yeah. And for it to be an effective defense mechanism, we need to be able to learn uh, its lessons. And and so when you think back about your life, uh, or any of us do, some of our most painful episodes are the ones that we actually remember most vividly. And in fact, yeah, one of the things that I've learned is that many patients uh, who have chronic pain, those memories live with them on an almost constant basis. And I think that that's another avenue of, of really interesting work in which can we actually halt the transformation of acute into chronic pain by stopping it from being memorized in our body.
0: Really, really interesting work. And um, you mentioned this in the book, but for anyone listening, you know, as we're talking about, you know, memories forming and, and perception of, of pain in the head, anyone who's listening with chronic pain that is in no way diminishing. We're not t- saying that, that it's all in anyone's head. Or, and I know that can sometimes be seen as diminishing uh, someone's experience. That's not what we're talking about. But really interesting to see these connections between memory uh, experience and pain. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Hader Warich is the name of the author. The book is called The Song of Our Scars, The Untold Story of Pain and and looks at this um, sort of history and culture and a medical approach to to pain in a way that I I hadn't considered before. Hader, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. If you're someone who who used to have chronic pain and has now come out of it, um, tell us about your experience. You can email us science at newstalk.com. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae, proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland, on News Talk.